Tuesday morning, God gave me a word about a generational anointing. And I spoke that Wednesday night to a generational anointing upon this house that brings the generations together. That as he pours out the anointing, that infant to the, to the eldest, it pulls, the anointing draws, the anointing destroys the yoke, the anointing will set free the, the house. The anointing will set free the house. And he dec decreed that in my, in my life over this house. A generational anointing is going to be poured out to pull us all together in one mind, one body, because that's what he's coming back after. He's coming back for one, one bride, one anointing, one people, one. The separation, all that has, if it's separation, if this unforgiveness causes separation, and if there's that in your life, you are not part of the one. One. If there's bitterness and anger, guess what? That's separation. What separates us from him? Sin. Romans says, for all have failed and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So sin separates. So if there's separation, you can't be a part of the one. Does that make sense? Anger, bitterness, uh, fear, anxiety, unforgiveness, uh, gossip, uh, a proudness, all that separates from being one with who he is. So if that's in your life, guess what? You're not going to be a part of the bride, the one bride, the one person, the one calling, the one people, the one anointing that he's coming back for. Understand that. So he's declared a generational anointing to break those things off in this house that will all come together in one. That somebody won't sit back there that's a part of this house and have disunity or unforgiveness or pride in their life or judgment in their life and judge, but will be one body serving one God, worshiping one God, lifting up one Christ, one Savior, one Emmanuel, one person, one Jehovah, one Rapha, one Nisi, one Hiller, one banner under one of who he is. I believe that he's doing it every week he's breaking stony hearts and fallow ground he's he's plowing into it and the ones who won't accept that they'll be so uncomfortable that they'll probably leave am I okay with that yes though I hope they 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 grasp of how close we are and what God is trying to do that, that they let God break that fallow ground in the stony heart yes that's my prayer that's my prayer for you because I don't want to see anybody miss out on what God has for you for us especially miss out on the kingdom of heaven especially that if you have just a moment I, I'm, I'll share just a little bit I'll share just a little bit. In Exodus chapter 14, and I'm just going to run through this. Exodus chapter 14, we all know what happens in Exodus chapter 14, or some may not. The children of Israel have been set free from slavery and bondage, and they're facing the Red Sea. 
They're sitting there and they're looking at the Red Sea and they're hearing the soldiers of Pharaoh's army coming upon their back and they don't know what to do. But Jesus, but God tells them to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord that the same enemy you see today, you will not see anymore. And then he tells them to move forward, to go, to move, to possess the land that he has given them. The same way is in your life. At one point, you were bound. You were in slavery, slavery to the devil, to the world, to sin. And God stepped in and he made a way for you to come out of that. And in coming out of that, the devil just don't give up. He pursues you and comes after you. But you have to be willing to stand even when you don't know which way to go and wait on God. And then when he tells you what to do, then you've got to be willing to move forward in that. There's a lot of people that get saved and get set free from bondage and the devil comes after them and they come against the Red Sea or they come against the first obstacle in their life and they're not willing to wait just a minute. They get antsy. They get, they get just like the children of Israel always did when something presented a problem. They always said we should have stayed in Egypt. We should have died in Egypt. You brought us out here. They even tell Moses there, what, what was wrong with you. There was no graves in, back in Egypt and you brought us out here to kill us. And then God performs a miracle and they walk across the dry ground. And then Exodus chapter 15 they sing a song. Imagine this. Imagine seeing what the children of Israel saw. And they come across the dry ground. They look back. The Red Sea has crushed Pharaoh's army. They, they all drown there. And they start a song in Exodus chapter 15. It says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed glorious. Some of you have sung this song before. Some of you have said these things when God has brought you through some things. They also said, the Lord is my strength and song. And he has become my salvation. He is my God. And I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. They're professing who he is, that he's salvation, that he's his God, that he's our God, and that he also is a man of war. How quickly do we forget that? How quickly do we forget that God has already fought our battles, that he is a man of war? After every obstacle, after every trial, after everything we come through, we're so quickly after that one gets taken care of to forget when the next one pops in front of us that our God is a man of war, that he's done fought the battle, that he's done declared the victory, that you can walk in the triumph of the cross and the resurrection power of who he is. He's done paid it all, and they are proclaiming this. He, the Lord is his name, they say. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. They go on to say that the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. He says, I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sink like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, doing wonders? Who is like him? They're sitting there declaring that. Who is like the Lord? Who can do all these things? No other, no other God can. But how quickly they go on in Exodus chapter 15 in the last Verse of 15 says, all the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. They're singing this praise song. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Where is Canaan at? It's on the other side of the promised land. 
God said, I'll go with you. The land is yours. Pursue, take it. It's yours. And they're, they're declaring in, in this first victory that they see of the Red Sea, they're saying, all the inhabitants of Canaan is going to melt away. Oh, how quickly we forget. Because when we get there and we look and the battles and the people look so big and the walls look so high, how quickly we forget what he has done for us in our lives. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them. He's telling them. He, I mean, they're, they're proclaiming their victory over Canaan right now in this song. And it goes on to say, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed glorious. The horse and the rider has thrown into the sea. After this elaborate victory song of declaiming who God is and what all he has done. And he is father. He's a man of war. He's glorious. He's going to give us the promised land. He's going to do all this. We step into the next chapter and there is no water. The water is bitter. And what do they start doing? Complaining. After a praise song that takes up one full chapter almost, all of Exodus 15, one little thing. It's not a Red Sea. It's not a hundred thousands of Pharaoh's armies with, with chariots coming after him with spears and sword. It's a, a water problem. Hmm. And we still have a water problem today. Because he said, out of your belly shall flow living waters. I'm here to give you the living, and we still have a water problem today. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. They come to chapter 16, and, and what happens, he makes the bitter water sweet. And the end of chapter 15 and 16, they want bread. He rains down, said, I'll rain down manna from heaven. And then it, quails come up on up in the evening. He took care of them. He provided them. In Exodus chapter 17, again, they're, they're thirsty. God has moved them. And they come to the place and they cry out again, Lord, we need some water. They're ready to stone Moses. They're ready to do all these things. How quickly have we forgotten that he's taken care of us? And then in chapter 17 is where I want to get to. Starting with verse 8. The first battle. The first battle after they come out of bondage, physical battle, they've already been battling mentally. They've already been warring mentally, devils trying to take what God has done for them and, and, and make them doubt it and make them reject it and make them think it would be better off back in slavery. And the devil's doing some of y'all the same way because you've experienced victory and he comes in mentally to try to tell you it was better back then. You had it made back then. It was this back then. I, you need to go back there. You've come here and look at you now. That's a lie from the pits of hell because there is no other way except him. All this heaven and earth shall pass away. All this is going to be gone very shortly. 17 verse 8, it says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Riphium. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose you out some men to go out to fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said. 
to him and fought with Amalek and Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy so that they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on him, sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and, his, and the people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book of the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. From generation to generation. Most of you who have been to church long know this story. But this is the first battle. This is from the first physical battle since they have been out of bondage that they're going to fate. It was, it was with the kingdom of, of Amalek. This is the first thing that they face. An army here that's coming against them. The first army you face will be an army that's not only out to get you, but it's out to get your family, your kids, their kids from generation to generation. And as they fought, they said Moses and Aaron and Hur is on top of the mountain and Joshua is in the valley and he is fighting. And as Moses' hands is, is up as the leader, as, as, as him, as his hands are up, then they're winning. But when he gets tired and weary and they come down, they begin to lose. So they set a rock up under him to sit on. And then Aaron gets on one side and Hur gets on the other side to hold his hands up. While, and as long as that's up, the battle is won. Aaron is, is Moses' brother. Her is Moses' nephew. There's a generation there. It took, this is what I'm going to it took a generation, Brother Bird, to defeat the Amalek army. It took a generation to come together and say, no matter what, we will stand with you, we will support you, we will hold your hands up, we will do anything that we need to do to make sure that we get the victory over this battle. And us as a body, as a congregation, as Christians, as this house, we have got to come together and do whatever it will take as generations come together and support one another and hold one another up to make sure that this enemy is defeated. There was a generation on the top of that mountain fighting for the victory. And they prevailed. But in the end, even though they won, in the end it says, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. It's something that is, is going to happen. It's a battle that, that didn't stop. I'll show you right quick if you want me to. If we turn over to 1 Samuel, First Samuel chapter 15, we're going to read here where Saul is king. The people wanted a king, they give him a king, Saul is anointed king. And they goes out and, and Samuel comes to him. First king, I mean, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Verse 2 says, Thus said the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek. 
for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way out of the camp up from Egypt. We just discussed that. We just discussed how Amalek come against Israel out of Egypt and, and, and ambushed them. So here we have uh, uh, Samuel telling Saul, this is what the Lord's saying, go after Amalek again and punish him for what he done to my children when they come out of Egypt. Go after him. And Saul, in this story, Samuel tells him, said, you go after him and you don't spare anything. You kill everything. Yeah, that's gruesome. You kill women, you kill kids, you kill men, you kill the sheep, you kill the goats, you kill the herds. You kill anything that associates with Amalek and put it to death. Saul gets them words and he goes into battle. And in verse 8 of chapter 15 he says, He also took Agag, king of Amalek. Alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lamb, and all that was good. And were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. They went into a battle and was told to destroy everything. But they took the king, the head, and then they took everything that looked good to them. If it didn't look good, if it wasn't going to prosper them or they couldn't use it, for, they throwed it, they, they killed it. We go into battle sometimes and the Lord is sitting there saying, you need to let these things go. You need to kill everything in your life. You need to lay down everything. You need to let this go. And he tells you that and you get there and you get in that situation and it looks good to you. I don't really want to let that go, God. I, I really don't want to let this go. It, 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 looks, it looks worthy to you. It looks like something you need. you got to have. It's the best of things. It's the best of this world is what it is. And this world is nothing. This world is nothing. And you look at those things in your life. And you keep the things that appeal to what you want. The flesh wants. What you want. And you keep them around. And Saul does this. And Samuel, he comes to, to Saul. And he tells him in verse 14, but Samuel said, he comes to him. And they're sitting there talking, Saul and Samuel. And Saul's like, I've done everything. You know, it's a good victory. And all this. And, and, and Samuel already knows. God already knows. He already knows. You ain't hiding anything from him. And they're talking there, and then here in verse number 14, it says, But Samuel said, What then this is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the low of the oxen which I hear? Samuel sitting there, he's like, Well, what, what am I hearing in your life? You said you give me everything. You said you laid it all down. You come to an altar, and you knelt down and said, I give you my life, Jesus. And then, and then you get up, and the thing, and you go to war, and the things that look good to you, you keep sticking in your pocket. You keep sticking in your back of your mind. You keep sticking, and you go to Jesus in his prayer and says, Lord, I've done good this week. I've done all this. And he said, I hear it. You're not fooling anybody. He said, you said you kept it for me. You didn't keep it for me. I said, get rid of it. 
I don't care how good it looks. I said get rid of it because it's part of this world, and this world will pull you down. It's part of the kingdom of Agag, which is the kingdom of the devil. So it's a part of the kingdom of this world, and even though it may look good, it's going to pull you down, and it's going to destroy you. So what does he hear in your life this morning? So he kept them alive. And Samuel reveals. Samuel said in verse 22, Has the Lord, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices and boiling the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and a stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry rebelling against the Lord is a form of witchcraft stubbornness and we've heard that one but stubbornness not willing to let go and let God and do what he says is iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord he also has rejected you from being king is what he told Saul. And so Saul and Samuel goes and he gets Agag. And he, in verse 33 says, But Samuel said, As your sword has made woman childless, and as your mother's being childless among women, and Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. So there's the Amalek king again. Saul has to take the authority and hack him up. But I want you to notice something. It says from generation to generation. How many of you know how Saul dies? There's two stories, actually. There's one at the very end of 1 Samuel that you'll read about, how it says he fell upon his sword and his armor bearer and all them there with him. But if you turn over to 2 Samuel and read this one, it gives them kind of another account. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. 2 Samuel verse 1 Chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Then the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilbo, there was Saul leaning on his spear. And indeed his chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am a Malachite. The one he wouldn't kill. The one he wasn't willing to let go of. Has come back. And he's sitting there from a, 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 a war. Wounded and weary and, and trying and wanting to die. And he calls out. He hears somebody says, who are you? And he says, I am a Malachite. And he said to me again, please stand over me and kill me. For anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and I brought them here to my Lord. This guy killed him, an Amalekite, and then he took his crown and then he took his bracelet. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying if we don't kill it now, 
That is a generation to a generation to a generation to a generation. If you don't kill it in your family now, then it will come back. And it will take crowns from your kids. It will, take, it will take bracelets from your kids. It will destroy a generation that is trying to come up. But us, as God has promised, I'm pouring out a generational anointing upon this church that he wants us to come together. Like the first time they faced Amalekite, the first time they done it with generations, with a brother on one side and a nephew on another, and Moses in the middle, and one fighting down in the valley. We've got to come together if we're going to defeat this enemy as one church, as one body, as one Christian, as one bride and come together and fight this thing and stand with one another. Some of you get it, but some of you probably will never get this. We, if we're going to defeat him, have to come together. If this house it's going to be what God wants it to be. It's got to come together. You say, Pastor, I thought everything was going good. Everything is going good. But I can tell you there's still some... There, there's still some things in here that I've been preaching from the very first time that I got here. Unforgiveness, bitterness, uh, pride, anger. There's still those things controlling. There's still those spirits in here that, that are, are lingering. And they, don't, they won't let go. They don't want to let go. You've got to let them go. You've got to place them at his feet. It's Wednesday night when this cross, the young people brought this cross in here, been praying all week over it. But Wednesday night, I, I said, cast all your cares upon him. You've got to bring it through the foot of the cross. And before I even realized it, there was a post-it note up there. And, and before the service, there's more post-its and stuff on the ground, but people are laying down things. And if you know you've got something that you struggle with, then by all means, you have my permission to come up here and get a post-it note and throw it at the foot of the cross or nail it to the foot of the cross. Because he said he done that for you. He said he done it for you. I nailed it all to the cross. I done it for you. Philip, if you can come back up here, like I said, I pray you get this this morning. From the very first time that they faced Amalekite, and at the end, he says, from generation to generation, we still have to come together. How they defeated him in the beginning was a generation coming together, lifting their hands and doing whatever it took to make sure the victory was won. And then we see Saul, who was not willing to do whatever it took to make sure the victory is won. And it come back, and it cost him his kingdom. It cost him his crown. It cost him his anointing. It cost him his life. Do you get it? you get it so we as the church have to come together I could go deeper into this Amalek was actually while Philip was coming I, I, I reckon I will Amalek was actually Esau's grandson Esau sold his birthrights for a cup of soup The church has sold out for some cheap stuff. The church in a time of need, in a time of crisis, when Esau come in from the field, he was hungry and he looked over there and said, would you let me have some soup? He said, sell me your birthright. Sell me everything and I'll give you this. When there was food in the house, there were things there. 
If it had been my brother, I'd have smacked him upside the head and took the soup without selling him my birthright. You understand me? He sold out in a moment of desperation for something cheap. And the church has done the same thing. We have sold out in the moment of desperation, in the moment of trying to, 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 to be like the world, to conform to the world, and do the things of the world, and draw the world. and all. We've sold out for the cheap things, not the glory of God, but a bowl of soup that means absolutely nothing. We've given our rights away. That's who Amalek was, the grandson of Esau who done that. And he tried to do that to the children of Israel. He tried to catch them. In a moment, he actually come from behind them to attack them. He tried to catch them in a moment of, of weariness to overthrow them and overtake them. But we, we've got to come together as one church, one bride. Seeking Him. Not the religion, not the traditions. Him. He said His mercies are new every day. So every day I can experience Him new. Every day I can experience more of Him. His glory fills the whole earth. There's no way I can even scratch the surface of who He is. That's the reason the Bible says, and you heard me say over the past week, from glory to glory to glory, don't stop because there's more of me, he's saying. Don't stop because there's more of me. You experienced a little bit more this morning? Don't stop because there's more of me. 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 I can't quit saying it. Don't stop because there's more of me. You'll never reach the end. You'll never get to the end of who I am. Don't stop because there's more of me. But we've had a church that has stopped. We've had generations that has stopped. And Amalek has come in. And he has taken the generation that we're supposed to be fighting for because we've sold out our birthrights for something cheap. And God's saying, don't stop because there's more of me. Don't stop because don't sell out for something cheap. Don't sell out for some soup. Don't sell out for this and don't sell out for that don't stop because there's more of me don't stop because there's more of me please church don't stop because there's more of him and all that's going on in the world it has to happen church but I smile I smile because when I thought about it this week, I said, it's got to happen to usher in you. My, my, my. To usher in you. God, I know it's got to happen to usher in you. I'm not fearful. I'm not afraid because it is ushering in the returning of the king. So I'm excited. Yeah, it's got to happen. But it's just ushering in him. It's ushering in him. And while we're here, we need more and more and more and more and more. If you would stand with me. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know where my future is. And that's the only promise I can give you this morning. I can't tell you what tomorrow holds, but I can tell you who holds tomorrow. And I can tell you where my future lies. That's in Him. 
If pastor must have passed away tonight, don't cry. Because I'm doing this all for him. I'll have a new body. I'll be dancing on the streets of gold. I'll see his glory. I'll see what, what I'm trying to see right now. What I'm trying to experience right now, when I step from this life to that life, I will experience Him. And if my thoughts could go back, it would have been like, it'd probably be like, oh Lord, there was so much more. Look at you. Look at your glory. There was so much more. Why did we sell out for soup when there was so much more? Lord, we praise you this morning. If that's you this morning, if, you, if anything spoke to you this morning, I would ask that you would move. But if you've sold out for something cheap, if you've come out of, of bondage and God told you to, to get rid of some things and he's sitting there here still hearing bleats of sheep or he said destroy that and you need to get rid of those things, you can even simply come up here and write it on the post-it and throw it at the cross and that can be a sign if you don't want anybody getting close to you. I understand the times that we're living in and I will be respectful of that. But I will also be respectful if you want hands laid on you that God is a God that says that. And I will do that and I will pray for you. But if this is spoken to you anyway, in any way, as I pray in Philip's sayings, I ask that you move. Lord, help us, Lord. God, to destroy everything in our life, God. To come together, God, in a under your generational anointing God and destroy God the things that are trying to destroy, destroy this generation Lord as we come together and we hold each other up and we do whatever it takes Lord to defeat the enemy God as generations come together Lord Jesus to do whatever it takes to seek you and defeat the enemy Lord if there's anybody in here today Lord that need to lay things down at your feet Lord I pray that they move Lord Jesus to this altar Lord, if they need to get back in right standings with you, Lord, I pray that they move to these altars. Lord, and we'll give you the praise and we'll give you the honor and glory. And everyone said amen. And like I said, if this is spoke to you as he sings, if you want to write something down or if you want prayer, I'm here.